0: man the best person to rape is your wife and now i guess he feels a little bit emboldened he must be careful with what he says i think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard
1: uh racism is essentially a white problem for you to understand what racism is about you're going to be so Comfortable. As Christians, we love the
0: homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You no, know, everybody's like you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business. You want to be successful. You want to be like Trump? Gimme, gimme, gimme. Push, 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 push. Step, step, step. Crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane, find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White-Hodge. Profane Faith Fam, here we are, another uh, session together again. Oh my my my. Well, welcome back those of you who are regulars, those of you who are brand new, welcome to the first time of Profane Faith if that is you. Um man, alive, I tell you, there's um there's there, there's always just so much going on. Oh, I never feel like I can ever really get to all the things, but then again, if we could get to all the things, what'll be the point of even having conversations in a podcast, right? Oh yes. Well, how did y'all like the last two weeks? Uh well the last two episodes, I should say, now that we're not necessarily weekly anymore. Um, wasn't Joey's story just like profoundly amazing and frustrating and <laughs> at the same time like thankful that he's able to to share that and you know, just to be real about, you know, what what really happened. I, I was thinking about that this this last week, looking at um just you know people watching as as i do as a as a as a researcher i always wonder like okay what's going on here what's going on i wish i could interview them i wish i could get a survey or something but nevertheless just looking at different uh you know families particularly latinx families you know who you know at least the outward appearance is very christianese right you got the crucifix or you got um the rosaries or you know something in there so i always just think like you know is there what's What's going on, you know, because, again, I, like I've said it on the show before, man, you know, uh, we as black and Latinx folks, man, we're very, very, uh, you know, rigid in our theological belief system. So um, I'll hopefully I'll enjoy that. If you didn't, this is your first time joining. I highly recommend going and checking um, Joey's story out. And then, of course, Mark Chase Um it that was that you know that was four weeks back, but nevertheless that was amazing as well. Just his process, his journey, um, and so yeah, yo, go check that out. And you know, particularly, I think Mark's interesting just because you know being African American, being a friar, being you know in you know in this Episcopalian context, um, it, yeah, it's it, it it's it, you know. It's interesting just where our life paths take us and um you know where we end up at. I, it it's fascinating and at the same time it's just like wow, um, I didn't expect that. And you know, when I like I said, when I first met Mark and you know, and out in Pasadena, he was in one spot and then he moved to transition to another. But I really do think he's in the right space now. So again, go back, check it out. Um, you know, for those of you if you're just, you know, you found this podcast. You know, subscribe, like, rate, that would be great um, You know, we're on all the outlets I'm continually, you know, trying to update You know, where I can put the podcast But it's just about in, in it's in a lot of places So you can take a look at it there um, I think what I've been reflecting on And I'm excited to jump into this week's uh, guest uh, I met her, uh, of course, at AAR uh, As as always, I meet so many great folks there And have established so many great relationships um, from that space um so i'll get to her here in a second but uh you know i think part of what i've been processing and just really having internal conversations um about you know in regards to theology in regards to god in regards to you know afterlife um is you know and and I think this is something... Well, let me back up a little bit. See, last week... No, last week, two weeks ago, in uh, my Media and Society, and uh, I have two courses that are cross-listed. Media and Society, which is like an upper division course, and then Social Media Friends and Family, which is kind of like a middle, sophomore, junior kind of class. But anyways, we cover a lot of different topics. And um, in regards to media, social media, tech, you know, we talk about AI, we talk about... Um, Just people's use of that, how it affects friends, social media, friends, family, um, you know, people's device usage. I always have students check their uh, device usage and, you know, we report back on that. It's always kind of amazing for some because... Uh, a lot of folks don't do that, and it's kind of shocking, right? One student reported they had, uh, I think it was like 15 hours in one day that they were on, you know, uh, on their phone and stuff. And so that type of stuff, right, we try to process, like, what is going on with that. Um, this, la- this semester, I actually ended up including... Uh, the topic on uh, UFOs, uh, astronomy, and and kind of like the paranormal, and you know, and kind of looking, at, you know, and just presenting. Hey, this these are the these are the things, right? These are the components. These are some things I've been chewing on for the last you know ten years. Uh, you know, here's where some of the science says we are, um, and then here are some things that are you know a little controversial. For example, life on Mars. You know, past civilizations. You know, how do we, you know, look at some of these things? Um, and so I just, you know, I told all my students, I said, you know, I'm just going to present it. And you, y'all can decide, you know, whatever you, you know, you want to believe and however you want to uh, think through. So it was an interesting um, time. Uh I think most students were just kind of like, oh, 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 okay, you know, Uh, in regards to a lot of this. uh, Of course, we talked in in, in regards to that, you know, throughout definitions, you know, talking about type one, type zero, type three, four civilizations and, and whatnot. And so the point, you know, saying all that is, is, you know, I was like, you know, I don't think I don't doubt for a minute there is some sort of creator out there. Um, and I don't, you know, doubt that you know there's there there are advanced life forms beyond us. I think I'm questioning what, how we interact with the God that we as humans, socially, uh, mentally, uh, in some cases physically, um, created, right. And how that has been weaponized um, against so many people, even now—it's you know that you know the idea of religion, right? The idea of you know if you're gay, you're gonna go go to hell, or you have somehow you can change, right? Your your um, you, you know who you are, right? <laughs> so I, I, that's that's the god of that I'm that I'm questioning, and that I'm you know like mm, I don't know. Um, and conversely, with um, the series, and I'm hoping to. Have y'all hear another uh, an installment of the series I got going this season, uh, which is God is not love and looking at, you know, components of different theological frameworks around, you know, how we interpret God, how we look at God in terms of just, you know, because so often, right, how do we look at God in terms of love? Because so oftentimes, you know, we we, we see, you know, we go, oh, God is love and God is like, I'm just like, man, I don't know about all that. So anyways, that's the series. Um, stay tuned for more. And, you know, this, those are just some of the things I've been processing. And again, just looking at, um, you know, the images, some of the images I showed, I, you know, I had a whole section in there in my class, going back to my class now, uh, about, uh, you know, a previous civilization on Mars. And, you know, I just used a lot of the high res images that, uh, NASA's put out the ones that haven't been, uh, edited, um, There are a couple of servers out there that still have uh, some of those images and, you know, just talked about, you know, hey, look, these right angles. This looks like at one point it was a structure. I mean, so again, just allowing people to chew on it and and to think on it. I mean, it took me a long time just to even get to where I'm at. And uh, so it was it was it was interesting and it was a good discussion um, in regards to um, life beyond what we can see. Um, You know, including, right, parallel dimensions uh Which would involve aspects of the paranormal Uh, You know, I r- kind of made the case that You know, God really is a paranormal, you know, being In this sense, when you think about the Holy Ghost, right? It's just, you know, just, we're just putting on, well, it's a Holy Spirit It's like, so, okay, so if that's going to be the case um, You know, let's begin to look at, you know, what does What does quantum particle science tell us about ghost particles what is what is what is you know what does the quantum rail talk about existing in two spaces at one time you know how do we then begin to see how particles interact you know at the subatomic level um, in regards to you know material and matter how do the, how do can we then begin to say okay there is something beyond right the grave you know and you and, know and, and, and most scientists you know if they're doing their work you know we you know, they will say you know we can't quantify what the soul is but we all know about it, right? Um, so it's fascinating. Fascinating stuff. That's the stuff I've been, uh, you know, thinking through, mulling through. I'm, I'm hoping to get a, a, a an episode around that at some point. Um Just because it is a fascinating discussion. But uh, uh, so until then, think on that. If you have questions, always, by the you know, reach out to a brother. Um, Always, uh, always open to talking and, you know, and having some, you know, some thoughts around that. Uh, But my guest this week, I am excited to have her on. Dr. Rachel Schwaller uh, received her Ph.D. in American Studies uh, from the University of Kansas. Dr. Schwaller's primary field focuses on Christianity in America. Uh, with a particular interest in scriptural interpretation, race, colonialism, and economics. Y'all, she's going to go in on some stuff. It, y'all going, again, this is time, you know, just just get your notebooks out. Um, I actually was sitting behind her in a session looking at, uh, oh, what was it? It was on the insurrections. I don't remember the session. It was actually a really good, uh, oh, QAnon. It was on QAnon. And, uh, you know, just how it was connected to like evangelicals and kind of this mythology and whatnot. Uh, And she just asked an amazing question. And I was like, yo, I need to have you on the show. So we connected, been exchanging emails, doing amazing work. Um, And, you know, her recent work focuses on how average white conservative evangelical Christians have interpreted scriptures in order to support. Free market economics, and importantly, the effects that interpretation has had on minority populations in the U.S. Huh? Some fascinating stuff right there. In the future, Dr. Squalor hopes to expand their analysis to include other uh, Christian groups, including progressive uh, Protestant denomination denominations. Um, so yeah, y'all just gotta sit back and take in uh, what the good doc has to say. Um, And uh, again, you know, I'm just I'm always thankful for just some of the connections I make in those spaces because, you know, Dr. Squalor is just a result of many of these conversations that I've been having um, with folks and whatnot in regards to just science and uh, God and (laughs) race and all that good stuff. So without any further ado, fam, enjoy this conversation. All right, now we'll see you back. Um, well, Rachel, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Profane Faith It's great to have you. Um, I've talked highly about AAR. And once again, I have met another great soul and mind uh, at this conference. So thank you for coming on.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. That was my first time at um, a large AAR conference. So I was very excited. And yeah, I got to meet you and other people as well. So it's fantastic.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's. The first time I went, I was definitely overwhelmed and like, oh my god, this is this is a lot of people. And then it's like you see people that I'm reading about, especially when I was in grad school, right? It's like, oh my gosh, here's mm-hmm. James Cone. I was just the James
2: Cone, like what? <laughs> so. You but, get to go to their panels and they don't even know that they've got a groupie in the audience. Right. Like, I've loved you right. for so long. Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, no, it's it's definitely been a been a highlight, at least for me. I mean, I know no place is perfect, but at least where I'm at, I'm just, I just have a dearth of, of just academic connection and stuff. So it mm-hmm. was great to get out and to meet somebody like yourself. Um, but tell me a little bit uh, about you and what's been happening from birth to now. Uh, what is what has gotten you to the to the doctor of Rachel?
2: Okay, oh, hey. uh, <laughs> I love this question. Um, so on. my my father um, was an evangelical minister. Okay. In the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination.
1: Okay. Yeah. And
2: yeah. my brother and I are actually third generations pastors' kids and fifth generation. CMA. Okay. Um, and so we, my family has been part of that denomination since it was started um, way back when, actually not way back, but anyway, we've been part of it for a long time. My brother and I are no longer a part of that denomination. Um, what with evangelical Christianity um, as it is,
1: <laughs> but
2: um, yeah, so I grew up in the church, uh, but my father um, and my mom as well. But my father in particular was an intellectual. Okay, uh, he, his uh, his professors wanted him to go into uh, Greek Greek literature and do um, textual studies, and that's what he wanted to do too. Um, but he felt that God was calling him into the ministry. Okay. And so took, uh, that call by the spirit, uh, took him on a life of constant difficulty and betrayal. And what my grandfather, uh, who was a pastor also in the CMA called, uh, seeing the underbelly of the church.
1: Okay. And
2: it, uh, it was incredibly difficult for both of them. Um, so that's kind of the kind of community that I grew up in. Um my father didn't become a Christian until his mid 20s uh, and he was going to go be a Buddhist monk actually and then happened to walk into a CMA church and was converted there. Wow. Um yeah, so he was very open um about religious experiences. Mm-hmm. He actually um he did readings and things like that in college. He plucked okay. out of college the first time um he did Tarot cards, readings for people Had visions and, and wow. stuff And then yeah um, He's a very interesting individual um, And then converted um, The church That he converted in tried to make him throw out All of his Beatles records and he was like mm, No <laughs> not, not the Beatles <laughs> Not the Beatles Jeez. <laughs> Anyway so he, he went on this very long Journey and became ordained Okay. Um, so Yeah, that was my upbringing, Um, and so I was raised in this highly intellectual household, very focused on history, very focused on languages. You know, if I couldn't debate Calvinism versus Arminianism by the time I was eight, then I just shouldn't come to dinner at all. (laughs) So that that's what it was. Um, And so basically, he was at a bunch of different churches, and we were in Kentucky at the time, and. As happens in a lot of white evangelical churches, and this church is predominantly white, um, you know, they they wanted him to be teaching um, old earth creationism, or not older, sorry, young earth creationism. Young, okay, earth. yeah, yeah. Young earth creationism, uh, they didn't like the fact that he was bringing Democrats into the church, um, all this sort of stuff, right? Right. Um, and, and so my dad ended up stepping down from that church cause he didn't want to split the church, which it split anyways, you know, as it does. Um, and that really, I was a teenager at the time and that really changed everything because I suddenly became aware of this sort of underbelly of the church. And mm-hmm. I struggled with that for, I still struggle with that, like for the rest of my life. Um, So anyways, uh, I knew that I wanted to do ancient history. And so that's what I started out in in college. And uh, my first round in graduate school, I got a terminal master's as an undergrad. And I focused on um, ancient uh, Near Eastern history, paleography, and (gasps) archaeology. I went to Egypt a few times um, and was doing, you know, Hebrew Bible, Aramaic, of course. um, But then also like Ugaritic and Sumerian and things like that um but the program was the program was a very traditional classic classics program mm-hmm. um an archaeological program so it was majority male majority white and i began to have questions about how people today interpreted this incredibly ancient source and they were like well you can put that in your appendix or something but we don't talk about that i was like oh okay that's <laughs> fine <laughs> 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 the appendix <laughs> we'll talk about that then so at that point um I I spent a year at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary after I graduated my master's, spent a very miserable year and realized I could not be there anymore um, and left quickly. And uh, then I got married we came to we spent uh, I, I lectured uh, you know for a while at different universities and stuff and then we came here to the University of Kansas and I met uh, my advisor Randall Jelks who's in the American Studies program here at a party which if you know Randall that is where you meet Randall at any <laughs> point in time and Randall listened to me for like five minutes and he goes you should come work with me. And I was like, okay. So I did. And I went to go work with Randall and he's been responsible for me ever since. And what I became interested in really was this larger discourse pattern, um, amongst not just evangelicals, but kind of across the board, how are people understanding this text? And then more, most importantly, like, um, applying this text in interesting ways in politics. Uh, for me, you know, my interest was in economics and free market economics okay. and how does that intersect with race and the formation of whiteness? And Ooh. that's, uh, yeah, that's where I ended up. My, my father though, um, he contracted ALS. Um, oh. and so he and my mom, um, came to live with me and my partner and uh, our kid, uh, at the time we now have a second kid he never met her um, oh. but he died within 9 months of moving moving in with us but we were caretaking for him mm. and uh, at the very end an intellectual to the end so he couldn't um you know and that's part of the struggle i have with the church like the church took everything right it took everything uh from me and when my father stepped down like he he contracted shingles from the stress huh. and he had post neuralgia from that. He was in pain for the next 15 years of his life. And uh, this ALS, you know, he ends up going back to the church and he was at a different church for a while. But like the last time he ever spoke, the last time he ever sang and played guitar, the church got it. You know, I was at college. I was at graduate school. I never heard that again. Mm. And so I it's a hard thing to kind of like forgive and accept that that this thing has you know, it just takes you until yeah. until you're crucified for it, right? Yeah, yes. From the beginning, but anyway, yeah. So he uh, he ended up passing away about four years ago uh, of ALS, and at the end of his life, he he could move a single finger, um, and he was typing essays uh, to the CMA about why they should allow LGBTQ plus folks um, into the denomination and stuff. Wow. So that's what he was writing up until the end. And I've got wow. like these manuscripts of his and stuff. And that's, that's who my father was. And my mom care took for him the entire time Ooh. and you know, did all these things that like an evangelical woman is supposed to do. Right. Mm. And of course what it means here in Kansas, cause they didn't, um, expand Obamacare.
1: Mm.
2: She oh. Her husband dies. She hasn't been in the, she hasn't been in the workforce, right? Because they don't consider oh, no. all of the work that a pastor's wife does to be in the workforce. She can't collect unemployment, so she had to find a job within seven days of her best friend you know, dying. God. And that's what happens. And so I was like, I was seeing all of this in person. Like, oh, so this is how politics and religion kind of come together with oh, yeah. healthcare. This is fun, right? I feel like I'm quite on that. Oh, anyway. But that's that's my background. Like that's where I come from. That's why I do what I do now.
0: Wow. I mean that's whoo that's that's powerful. And to hear about right, the any aspect of the healthcare system mm. in this country outside of a general physical is just it's there's always a story connected to it, right? Um oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I was doing a study abroad course uh, a while back, and we were in uh, Great Britain. And one of our students really messed up their ankle, fell down some stairs, and so we were in mm-hmm. London. And so we went, ended up going to the hospital. Um, and long story short, at the end, we were, you know, because they're doing X-rays and MRI, and we're just like, oh damn, this is this is this is the bills are racking up. So you know, we go to check out. Um, and they're like, all right, you know, we'll see you on your way. And it's just like, okay, but look, like, here's our insurance. And they're like, just, we're good. Uh, and it just, it couldn't compute. It took me about five minutes for that to compute. Um I know. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Oh, and so it, and it just, it drives me nuts. Right. I mean, my, my father-in-law died of Parkinson's and uh, Alzheimer's and
2: oh god,
0: it yeah. was, you're know, right. It's just, you know, just horrible. And then, you know, you're dealing with stuff. They eventually, they moved in with us and for about two years, but Illinois is just horrible with health care. And at the time, we had a really right-wing <laughs> governor, and that and everything was just shot to hell. So they had to go back to a, a blue state. Ironically, they were, they were both Republican, but they needed to go back to a blue state, back to Minnesota, uh, to get the care uh, that they needed because everything was going to be here. I mean, I remember the housing that they were trying to look at, just mm-hmm. it was $9,000 a month. Just, just for just for him to be housed. That's not including medicals, yeah. anything. else. that's just housing, um, to get the help they needed and stuff. And I'm just like, dear God, like really, you serve an entire life and then all that. Right in the twilight. Exactly. God help us. Um. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, with man, this background. See, This is exactly why I love meeting folks again. Like I knew it. I knew as soon as you rose your hand, I was like, I bet this woman right here. They got some <laughs> good shit coming out, man. So. Talk to me a little bit about this angel. What are, What is what is your research in? What have you found? What's out there? Are we are we are we descendants of aliens from Mars? I mean, are we, <laughs> you know, the Sumerians coming back? I, you know, I, I don't know. Raw, the sun. I mean, break it down. This is great.
2: <laughs> um, well, so now my research is much more like in the modern period. So my dissertation focused from the 1940s to the 2000s. And um, what I, what I was looking at is the intersection of biblical interpretation and free market economics (laughs) economics and um specifically like i use a lot of the work of um dr vincent Wimbush. um okay yeah yeah from the institute of signifying on scriptures and i I think a lot about scripturalization um to talk about standing on the shoulders of giants like when that man writes (sighs) You either need coffee or you need wine or like, coffee, <laughs>
1: coffee, both. Um,
2: but anyway, so the, the idea behind scripturalization is, is the idea of the work that we make scriptures do for us in the world. And so I was, when I read, um, some of his writings from, um, white man's magic in particular, okay. it just blew my mind. I read it like first year of graduate school. And it changed all of the kinds of questions I was asking. And so one of the things that I began asking is how is – how are scriptures being made to work for free market economics? And particularly how does this create whiteness um, and perception of whiteness, right, uh, for white people? And then how does that get used to designate and um, – oh, I lost the word – like to put – to put chains around to designate spaces of blackness as well. Um, Yeah. So that's, that was my interest. uh, And it is everywhere. So (laughs) I looked at discourse patterns from the 1940s through all the way through the modern uh, mid two thousands. And I specifically was looking at it in like small time evangelical journals. I don't know, or magazines, like, I don't know in your house, like when you were a kid, if you had like magazines or books from your denomination, like oh, all yeah. on the coffee table or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I grew up with some of those stuff and, and I wanted to know how, like, not how the major people like Jerry Falwell and those kinds of yeah. guys, how it's not how they are doing it. How is this entering the household of average pastors? Like my dad, right? Nobody's going to publish about my dad in, you know. 70 years, but like, how did this sort of messaging work its way to him or to my grandfather and to his grandfather, right? Mm -hmm. How is it making its way there? And in what ways does it do that? So I tracked and then I ended up coding and databasing all of this language, the biblical quotations, and it doesn't change. And I'm a historian. I study change over time. It is the thing I look for. And I'm like, oh shit, this is not changing. What do I do with this? What do I do with something that doesn't change? And so what I did is I started to go backwards and say, how long does this not change?
0: And when you talk about not changing, you talk about the language, the discourse, or just kind of ideology, all of the above.
2: Both, like all of it. The discourse doesn't change. The biblical passages that they use do not change. Um, the ways of interpretation of those passages is not changing. Um, particularly like, uh, I mean, they're going to Romans. They're going to Pauline epistles, of course. But then even the specific parables and the gospels, they're going with the same one uh, all the time. Um, and it's mostly, it's majorly from the New Testament. The Old Testament comes into it uh mostly within Deuteronomy and the idea of the 10 commandments. And so when I started to move backwards so one of the things that one of the things that I learned in this cuz I was looking specifically for formations of whiteness and formations of blackness and the way that again white people are trying to control and and create perceptions of blackness. So not the way that black people are able to talk about themselves, but the way that white people are creating um, how black people are allowed to be in spaces and particularly worship spaces and yeah. economic situations, right? So th- that's that's how I'm looking at this. Um, and so one of the things that I found is that, so I was looking for that in particular, but I was not finding language. It was not setting up whiteness and blackness. It mm-hmm. was, um, but mm-hmm. it was much more coded. Okay, What was obviously there is they set up distinctions between whiteness and indigeneity. And that fascinated me. And so that's what I really, that's what I started to look for. Um, and what I found was there's a, there's actually an article written um, in one of the, in a think tank um, that also went out into um, uh, newspaper printings and stuff like that. But it was looking at, and I think it was in like 2010, 2005, okay. Okay. It's recent. Um, and it's about, it's about indigenous perspective. It's about indigenous, the perception of indigenous work ethic and free market economics. Um, in this case, it was talking about uh, an indigenous group in South America that, of course, is not specified. They don't give names for anything. It's all highly generic. But they're talking yeah. about, uh, you know, because they don't, they're looking at, they want to create ideas of indigeneity, right? Yes. Not actual, you know, So anyway, it's ideas of this. Yeah. That exact argument that they're using, that this woman was using in her discussion of this mythic indigenous group in South America, right? And her perceptions of their lack of work ethic, their laziness, and how that uh, couples with a lack of industriousness and a lack of capitalism and the rise of socialism in their country, right? So she's bringing all this together. It's the exact same argument that's getting used against indigenous uh, groups in the 17 and 1800s by white Anglo missionaries. It's the exact same argument. And so this idea of um, capitalism, citizenship, um, and democracy and the connection between those three things is also then bound up with ideas of indigeneity and whiteness and how that gets constructed. Woo. So that's
0: what I found. <laughs> it. Okay, all right. So I got I got so many questions. This is amazing. This is exactly why I wanted to have a conversation with you because I knew it. All right. So how then? How does, for example, black bodies in those type of spaces? You know, when you when you look at that, because there's always an unfelt, and I don't know if this even connects, but mm. uh, there's this un. Spoken of sense of there's a certain way, for example, blacks are supposed to respond to certain elements of whatever it is, whether it be race issues, right? Like I remember why, you know, I came through, I you know, I came through the evangelical circles. I was with Young Life for a long time. And so there was always a sense that as main issues came up, my response should be godly. Now, that's a very generic term, right? That you're saying about, but this yes. godly yeah. meant let's not get too deep into race, right? And there was promise keepers in the 90s and people thought, oh, we've hugged it out. So why do we still continue to talk about race? I remember, um, so I'm from the West Coast and originally, and uh, I remember at uh, one of the private Christian schools in the Pacific, this was during the late 90s. They were trying to get a, a black student group you know, formed and there was so much pushback from just uh, the administration, the chapel, because they were like, We've solved this race problem. Why do we have to be in yeah, you know, this is we shouldn't have this. I mean, it was a yeah. f- long, drag out fight. So I'm doing yes. too much talking, but, I, I, but I'm but i wondering, like, what the, what does that look like? Is there some tangibility there, some overlap?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea of the separation of politics and the church, uh, which we hear about, we I mean, it was very prominent in the civil rights movement mm. um, with Martin Luther King Jr. Right. But it continues all the way to, to now um, you know, um, with the the current Black Lives Matter movement, police brutality, um, you know, it, the idea of that separation of politics and the church is a white creation. And it goes back, um, at least in terms of my research, it goes back to about the 1730s, because what you had, um, Prior to during the 1700s, at late 1600s, early 1700s, you had the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel, which was a parliamentary institution in England paying missionaries to go over to the mainland where nobody wanted to go because it's this backwater place. Why would anybody want to come here um, in order to convert indigenous groups? But they also start to do movement within enslaved communities. Hmm. They want to convert enslaved people. But you have um, at that time not exactly plantation holders uh, because they don't quite have the plantation. um, uh, I forgot the word. What is with words right now? Anyway, they don't quite have the plantation uh, industrial complex yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but going to slaveholders and saying, hey, we want to you know, come in, can we convert, can we baptize? And slaveholders are like, absolutely not. And so missionaries, Anglo missionaries, have to figure out a way to convert enslaved populations because they want to do this. Mm. One of the ways they create an entirely new theology, and it's a theology that's already been expressed in Spain and the Catholic Church coming out of the school of Salamanca, and it's been out there since the 1600s, right? Okay, okay, okay. These Anglo missionaries have been trained in England. They know this stuff, but there is nobody more backwards than like a Maryland or Virginia slaveholder in the late 16, early 1700s. They are not, these are not, um, well-educated people. These are not actually very wealthy people. Jefferson was, in terms of his education, he's coming later, right? And so these people don't have the first understanding of theology and actually Anglo missionaries who come over to the mainland are like, these are not Englishmen anymore. We have to, you know, what are they believing? they're, They're as heathen as everybody else. Anyway, so one of, the, one of the new theologies, which again, it's, it's new only in the sense that England is beginning to use this with missionaries on the mainland. One of these new theologies is that you have to decouple um, physical, political, social freedom from baptismal freedom. And this is something that um, African and African descended people never, ever accept We have uh, letters written by enslaved people to the king. Uh, We have Spanish uh, people under the Spanish yoke who are writing to Audiencias in Spain saying like, hey, we've been baptized. Where's that freedom? (laughs) Where's that political freedom? And they're like, oh, shoot, that's not, mm -mm, that's not what we meant there, Um, right? And so the idea that politics, the social realm, the political realm needs to be separated out was uh, one of the main um, theological differences hmm. that began coming around in the 1730s. It becomes well accepted by the mid 1800s. And that's also where you begin to get the uh, theology of the planter patriarch, exactly like the antebellum period um, slave holder, who thinks that it is a paternalistic attitude towards enslaved people, that it is up to him to educate and to Christianize and that this institution is healthful um, and Ugh. also God ordained in the God ordained hierarchy. Come on. And so the way that this, that this gets translated down um, is that this church continues to be separated out. And so for, particularly for black churches like the AME and the AMEZ church, um, they are being formed as political, social, and religious entities. Okay. And white denominations are seeing this, like in the 1800s, um, and then further at the turn of the century, and they're like, "Don't you know that these things aren't supposed to be connected? We are doing spiritual things in the church. If you want to do political things, you can go out there." But the thing is that that's an aspect of privilege because for white people during the 18 1900s, they had other avenues to have um, job help, network help, um, financial, well not exactly financial aid, but they could find financial aid, governmental assistance, um, all sorts of things, loans from the bank. Whereas um, black people, especially uh, escaped uh, black people who are coming north and they're freed, free black people, they don't have access to those sorts of networks. So where's the only place that they can have one of those networks? The church it must be a political and social organization, and so this this idea that those things ought to be separate is entirely a white fabrication. Ooh. But here's the here's the thing that I always struggle to kind of get students to get uh-huh. like when I teach this. Yeah, um, is that the idea that politics and Christian church should be separate?
1: Yeah,
2: is itself a political stance. They haven't separated out the politics from church. They have simply separated out a politics that does not support white supremacy, that did not support an enslavement system, that doesn't support civil rights. And that is called normative. That system that they see is called, that's just spiritual. But it's not. It's highly political and it was highly politicized and it was done purposefully in the 1730s in order to try to convert enslaved people
0: to white christianity yeah all right doc this is all right so this is this is awesome i <laughs> wish i had known you like four years ago when i was writing a book on looking at missions and i was really kind of going in on short-term missions and the history of that and i went all the back kind of with the way to the age of exploration and whatnot and so uh you like know, yeah. what you're talking about resonates real closely because one of the arguments I make is that, you know, racism has been embedded into the DNA of so much of Christianity uh, mm. that there's a sense of colonization. I take, for example, the current organization I'm a part of right now, this college is a private Christian school. And there has been such a fear of open conflict. Like, and I'm not talking about, oh, we go out in the middle of the street and we're going to do fisticuffs. I'm not, I'm just talking about, I don't agree with this. Yeah. What you're doing is wrong. This is not right that it's now to the point where the cancer has just spread right like it's terminal now like it's like we're to the point now where okay we just got to go but that's what struck me the other day there was this person of color we were at our faculty staff me I'm sorry as you were talking this just reminded me so much because yeah, yeah. you were you're, you're dropping some bolos here <laughs> as it pertains to the to the history and I love it cuz this person of color came on because we you know we moved all of our senate meetings to to online so we're on zoom and so you know this person comes on and it's just like oh i haven't been here long but i just want to say you know because people were you know bending their frustration about the current administration current president and they were like well why don't we, like, you know, we're, I, this is a Christian university, and we we have to embody a Christ-like image. And I just think the way we're talking right now just doesn't reflect Christ's image. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, you, I, do you know anything about the history of Jesus? Jesus was anything but nice to mofos, man. Is that I shit? Guess, wait,
2: are we reading the same Jesus? Because Jesus could be mean. Right.
0: <laughs> And then she goes on about how, you know, oh, we we just need to write a letter. And I think like people just need to get some training and everything. And finally my colleague who's been uh, doing a bunch of work finally just kind of stopped them and was just like, hold hold up, hold up. I appreciate your comment, you know, and you know, in pursuit and everything, but obviously you haven't done your, you know, your your work. My point in all this is saying just the mindset of so many POCs has come from who everything you're talking about and I continue to try to decolonize my mind From those perspectives Especially as it pertains, right To the divine, the supernatural What's gonna happen when you die Cause that shit's right Scares everybody Like, oh shit, man Death, I, I don't wanna burn in hell You know, for for doing yeah. some You know, talking about liberals and, and, you know, liberated agenda This was, Jesus, you know, was this So How, what, what are some of the connections you see particularly today in some of the pushback that we're seeing? I don't know how it is at your institution uh, in regards to like critical race theory, uh, vaccines, uh, freedom, right? This, this sense of, I am going to take my country back. Um, I don't know. I mean, all that kind of nuance, right? With religion and particularly, you know, a form of white evangelicalism.
2: Yeah. It's amazing how the language of civility it gets used and has always been used to control, um, black bodies, black voices, Mm. um, where they can go, how they can speak. Um, but not also, not just black, like BIPOC, um, voices and, and bodies. Right. And then, but never to control the bodies or the tones of white folks. Um, it never ceases to amaze. Uh, and at, at this university, um, yeah, it's everywhere, <laughs> and actually, yeah. just this week, uh, there was a thing that happened um, having to do with hiring and oh, who we know. hire. Yeah, um, when you've got you know people who are all equally qualified, and which one do we go with? Um, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Yeah. Sorry. That's uh, we see this all the time. And I mean, I, it goes for so many marginalized identities mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. for for women. I mean, this happens to me and I am a white cis woman. But like I get told that I got told yesterday that my my voice, you, you know, you don't have to worry, calm down. <laughs> You sound a little of hysterical. Of course,
0: of course, yes.
2: Um, yes. And again, like, that's me. So um, a colleague that I have uh, who's a black woman and is fantastic, um, but she, she is speaking out uh, in amazing ways, and she, I'm sure, is getting told, like, well, that's not exactly what we mean, or let's just see what happens. Let's kick this can down the road. Um, but yeah, the the challenge Our challenge, I think, should be scriptural. Again, I I don't necessarily um, associate with Christianity at this point anymore, but I think that our challenge needs to be scriptural. But when we look at that scripture, through what lens do we view it? There you go. Do we view it through the lens of white Jesus um, or do we view it from a lens of – Someone who was rebelling against the state um, and someone who came from an oppressed group and knew that his voice needed to be louder. Um, yeah, you know, I, it's really frustrating. Yes. And I'm not, Yeah.
0: No, 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 absolutely. No, I love that you said that because that, and that's just part of it, right? It's like it's shifting the lens. And so much of my frustration hasn't been, you know, ironically with whiteness and white people as much as it's been with BIPOC folks who are still hung on to this idea and notion that this is what the quote unquote gospel is, or this is Mm -hmm. what Christianity is. Um, and you know, it's kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm yelling from the banister, like, yo man, that's, that is, you know, that is not what it is. Like, Especially with, you know, and you see some of it just in kind of the docilization of like Martin Luther King, you know, especially around Black History Month and everything. It's like, oh, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, like everybody must stand on their own. I was like, no, he never said any of that shit. Like, stop, stop, (laughs) stop.
2: So, and and the very active demonization of Malcolm X as well. Like, you can, the, yeah, the ways in which, uh, or Angela Davis, like the ways in which their language gets, Intensified and and therefore pushed to the side and then, you know, Martin, the way that Martin Luther King's voice gets uh, de uh, intensified and then elevated. Yeah, yeah, it just
0: yeah. So so how do you so well let me ask this again. I have I, I should probably be writing some of these down, but uh, I how do you navigate some of these spaces. I mean, right, you got the academy, which is a whole conversation in and of itself, right? I mean, that's just just the higher education space. We're seeing some of the major cracks since the pandemic, right, of, you know, how we look at education, how we do education, right? The pedagogy of that. I read an article the other day. In fact, I think I still have it up on one of my browsers from the Republic that talked about um, Mm -hmm. how masters were one of the biggest wastes of money anyone could do, especially in like fine arts and whatnot. So I'm just like, okay, we're seeing that. That's a whole conversation. I get it. But then you add on, right, religion. You add on, right, the sense of, for example, Fuller Seminary last year uh, was sued because they had expelled a student who was in a same-sex relationship and had gotten married. So they expelled them. Well, that student sued them. um, And it went all the way up to the Ninth District of the Supreme Court in California. And that court ruled that Fuller was, you know, they're not at fault. Like, they're, you know, they got the freedom exemption of religion with some of these laws that Betsy DeVos, of course, put in place uh, and took away a lot of the rights um, of people of color LGBTQ plus folks, BIPOC, I mean, you name it, right? Because now it's like these universities can just say, hey, this is our religious, you know, exemption. This is what God has called us to do. And essentially this is what a judge was saying. And they were like happy as hell about that too. I remember they sent a whole email out to the school and they were like, oh, we were victorious in this. And, you know, we, you know, we win this and this is a, a good step in the right direction of religious freedom. And because there, there's, what is the sense that, so many evangelical christians feel like they're under attack like yeah. it, 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 i don't know if you want to talk about just even the apocalyptic sense of i grew up seventh-day adventist so we were always talking mm-hmm. about the end of the world and you know yeah. this the seventh seal and you know it's like i don't i don't know if how all that stuff connects but have you have you come across any of that stuff or materialized
2: yes yeah this sort of siege mentality um idea and for me, so when I read like the evangelical magazines that I was looking at, the thing the eschatology is not actually the thing that comes up. It's current current living. So be, because evangelicals see a connection between personal morality, um, or again what they are defining as personal morality, um, and the stability of the nation. It means that if there is a crack in one, there is going to be cracks in others. Okay, And so it's not necessarily that it means that it's going to be the end of the world, but it does mean that it might be kind of the end of the nation as we know it. And again, this I I link this back to larger discussion or um, not larger discussions, historical discussions um, of. Educational systems. Like, why do we have educational systems in this country? Well, one reason is because of this idealized um, democratic citizen. And the democratic citizen has always, always, even in the Constitution, been visualized as a white property owning man. Hmm. cis male i should say
1: yeah, um, yeah.
2: and at least heterosexual presenting mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. you know they were not all right right
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. At least
2: heterosexual presenting but like that is the idea of the ideal citizen and so making um all people uh anyone who you know, once once the vote because, becomes like democratized, which happened obviously in stages, um, but once that is starting to happen, it means that we have to forcibly create this citizen. Okay. And we do that mainly through our educational systems. And one of the things that gets bound up with that is this idea of personal morality. So you cannot, the presumption is that you cannot have a full and proper democratic citizen without a type of personal morality, and that personal morality is, of course, based on Christianity, um, and and that form of Christianity is thinking about things in terms of heterosexuality, thinking about things in terms of, you know, um, Drinking, carousing, all of this, you know, the proper family unit, gender expectations and gender roles, kinship units, et cetera, and trying to enforce that on all other populations. And so this is why when conversion uh, was supposed to take place by the Anglo missionaries um, amongst enslaved populations, freed black populations, as well as indigenous populations, they entirely expected all life ways to change. With Christianity. Conversion had to be the first step so that proper personal morality, and for people who are listening, I put that in air quotes, (laughs) proper personal morality could be created so that you could have a proper democratic citizen so that the country wouldn't fail. And because there And there has always been pushback on this. No one, no, none of the people of these groups have been like, "Yes, we are going to do it that way." I am going to completely separate myself from my entire experiential life. Never happened. Um, But it's always been this idea of trying to force people into the idealized white male democratic citizen. But guess what? I am not a white male. (laughs) You're not a white male. Like I will never succeed as being the appropriate, proper democratic citizen. It's never going to happen. And we are still trying to be forced into that mold. And they use words like civility. They use words like proper or appropriate. Um, And that is referring to how we speak. Um, Obviously, we had There are different roles for I'm a white woman again, you know, (laughs) but like there's different ways that we are told that we can comport ourselves. But like where our bodies can be, how those bodies can be, um, you know, and so all of that's what gets put together with white evangelicalism. So today when I see white evangelicals talking about religious freedom, so for them, that is a core um, democratic value Hmm. that needs to be upheld by personal liberty and, and personal freedom. But the problem for them is that that personal freedom, that personal liberty can't go the other way. It can only go towards <laughs> protecting Christ- white Christianities, right. right? If it goes the other way, what they believe it, it's going to cause a crack in personal morality, a crack in the family unit, which will cause cracks in our democratic system. Mm. And when that crack in the democratic system forms, we, uh, we being America will lose everything that we have. And they think that America is at the height of its power, at the height of its wealth, because they don't think that its wealth was created through usurpation, colonization and brutality and genocide. They don't think that they think it was created by the family, the white family, the white male democratic citizen and uh, work ethic. And all of that comes into ideas of capitalism and free market economics. So
0: damn Girl, you preaching now. That's that shit right there, boy. Golly. Because that is the, in one form or another, that is the message that I have received uh, over all the years. Um, And, you know, even to the point of uh, of folks, you know, because, you know, they, people always want to go to your livelihood, right? It's since you know, we're going to take your livelihood away and stuff, you know, to yeah. the point of getting fired uh, by other mm-hmm. persons of color because yeah. of my disagreeance with that particular position, right? Or that, you know, yeah. that understanding. And so these, I mean, oh my gosh, this is, this is powerful. This right here is.
2: Well, it, I think it's, it's what makes it so hard because like everyone from, you know, <laughs> For BIPOC people, they all have to figure out how to negotiate white, white, well, for our study, like white Christianities, but in general, white supremacy. And so how someone does that, it's gotta be totally up to them. It's gotta be... um, it's a personal, it's a personal decision and it's also a decision that gets made with all of these other pressures that are being placed onto people. And so how, how people choose to negotiate those pressures is going to be different for everybody, you know?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Hard. Yeah, Oh, absolutely it is. And yes like you said
2: well let me ask you this
0: and, and and i know you know this you don't have to answer it but i i'm i'm be be curious how where do you find your own self now theologically spiritually i know you said you don't identify with christian anymore but you know how where, where what spaces you find yourself in you know even at all and that's a generally open yeah. question it's not a i'm gonna save you and hand you a track question
1: and
2: i have been struggling with this so much um so my partner is Episcopalian. Um, he, he's actually an ordained deacon within the Episcopal church. Okay. I was excited to do that and to be within that. And then again, got disgusted at the underbelly of the church. Like I can't stand vestries.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and, and as, as my research went in the direction that it went in these ancient prayers, um, like in the prayer book, all I hear is atonement theology and I I can't stomach it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, you know, like I, I suffer from depression and anxiety or I don't suffer from it. I exist with it, yeah. right? Yeah, um, come on. And so like, <laughs> um, being told over and over again that I am worthless, that we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, I was just like, no. Mm-mm. Right. I am not safe. Like I am not safe in this space <laughs> anymore. I can't hear it anymore. Yeah. And I really cracked like during COVID, like I just broke. Um, mm. and so I saw it, I sought help, um, in that. And one, one way was to really begin to separate myself from these forms of Christianity. But then the question was like, okay, so where do I find the spirituality? And, um, I'm mean, gonna I feel uh, I kind of feel weird about this, but uh, I'm part of a book group with friends, and we began reading Octavia Butler's Parable the Sower, and I became converted. Uh, <laughs> I converted to um, Omina and uh, change, and began to really embrace this idea of spirituality that God has changed. You know that that I'm lo- allowed to change. I am not. I've been trying to hold fast to this idea of myself as this complete person and I'm disappointing myself all the time. And then suddenly realizing, um, you know, that goes into other things like not being where I want to be in my career. I'm a lecturer. I haven't published. Um, and because I'm a lecturer, I can't publish because I don't have time to publish because I'm well, teaching so much. And, you know Right. I mean? Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know, like other people in academia are like, well, you don't really know what you're talking about because you haven't published in this sort uh, of way that I've been able to do because uh, I'm a white man without children, whatever. And, oh, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about? It's the, it's the Academy, right? But, um, yeah, that I began to think about myself as change. Um, mm. and what does this mean? And wanting to develop, um, again, it's t- totally stealing from Octavia Butler, but the idea of trying to develop my own talents so that I can actually use those talents in a way that is helpful to my community and the people around me. Um, and I'm still working out how to do that um, within myself and, and yeah, and within the community that I'm in. Um, so right now I try and do small things like how can I reach my students, Um in ways so that they can go out into their communities and do these sorts of things. And that to me is a spiritual endeavor. Um, and that's what I'm finding for myself.
1: I don't
0: know. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I love it. it and I can resonate so much because it, it, it Yes I, mean, I identify as a Black male Racially Ethnically I'm African American Mexican American But racially I'm black like, I get pulled mm-hmm. over I'm black um, <laughs> You know what I'm saying There's no Sorry, mistaking it's not
2: funny I should
0: not laugh at no, all No, that, but, no um, That's just the real no yeah. You gotta laugh You gotta laugh Because otherwise you can, you can go nuts man So I feel you yeah. And that's the same thing Right It's like the depression, the anxiety. uh When I first came on in the position that I'm at, I'm no longer, but I was a director. So I was running a whole center and there was this huge pressure. I was like literally the first black guy to ever be in this position. Fools was going nuts because, I mean, it was like this entire department that I was a part of was just nothing but white. I was like the only color and very evangelical. And I mean, and, and I remember one of the white guys, like I'd been there for what, three days in my new position. Uh, and he was just like, well, I just feel like there's no longer a voice for me here. And I'm like, motherfucker, this, the old goddamn department is just looks like you and thinks like you, like what, where are you getting this from? Oh
1: my God. <laughs> you know
0: what I'm saying? Three days in, right? <laughs> Um, and so there was this. Ooh. It was just it was a constant fight. It was a. Con- I'm glad to be where I'm at now. I'm just a department chair. I'm teaching. that's that's good. But I hear you on that part time stuff because, I did that for a decade. Part time, 450 miles a week. You know what I'm saying? 12 different, 13 different classes at a time, and it just it takes a toll. You're right. I mean, when you got time to publish, you be- you busy grading all these other papers or in the car or driving over here and then don't don't think about trying to have a relationship shit you know it's like ah damn so i feel everything you're saying um and at the same time i realized it you know it's, it's your narrative and your story and stuff and so I, I definitely uh i can resonate with it but i also realize you know yep. there's some unique things there uh to that um so where do you where do you find us now as a society we got the midterm elections coming up here in the year of our lord 2022 um <laughs> uh, i guess i should have ran an episode yesterday because yesterday was what the two two twenty two. there was like was. Yeah, yeah people were getting i heard there was all these this record number of people getting married in las vegas yesterday because of because of the <laughs> date and stuff <laughs> so well,
2: remember. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you
0: can't forget that man Um, But, yeah, I mean, what are are some of the things that you're currently thinking through and trying to put forth? And I'd also be curious, too, like, what are some of your pedagogical approaches, you know, in the classroom to talk about something, right, like history and Mm -hmm. dates and times and how those things, they're still around in different forms.
2: Yes. Um, So I'm in Kansas. uh, And so the coming up uh, election year is not looking good um, because... The Republicans just redistricted everything Mm -hmm. Um, and so Lawrence which is the city that I'm in that is very blue um, just got split um, and the whatever side it is the west side of Lawrence just got uh, put in with all of western Kansas which is very red Um, and so they basically just broke up our vote and we are never going to have it's going to be appealed in the court but I'm really concerned that it's not going to be overturned and right. Our voice is never going to be represented. So, um, not feeling good about the yeah. upcoming. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel about politics. Yeah, right yeah, come on. <laughs> um, yeah, I also really worry about the soul of the Democratic Party right now. Yes. Um, that yes. I, I think I, I do strongly believe that there has to be unity; otherwise, it just goes, you know, mm-hmm. the other way. But um, that the Democratic Party just surely is not going far enough. Um, and actually, so you asked, you actually connected this to pedagogy, and so I kind of think that's funny because I was just thinking about politics this morning because uh, my students today in the class that I'm going to go teach um, they are one of the speeches that they're reading is Malcolm X's uh ballot or the bullet. And I was reading over that speech and oh my god, was right. a prophetic speech. Yes. Um in the way especially the ways that he was talking about Dixiecrats and the way that he was talking about Oof. how elections were working yes. and he was talking about um In our terminology, he was talking about the black vote. That's not the language he used, but, you know, so he's talking about the black vote and the way that the black vote can swing everything and that they also know that, which is why they're going to start trying to control um, elections and stuff. And I'm like, what? Did he know what was going on in Kansas in the year 2022? Um, But that's exactly, you know, and this shit is still happening. And he saw it happening and he's talking about it. So, um, yeah, so I was reading that this morning and was, that was really speaking to me from that. Um, but that kind of leads me to my pedagogy. So the way that I teach this sort of stuff is not by focusing on names and dates. Uh, that's why we all hate history. At least I, was, I hated history because I don't have a memory for names and dates whatsoever. That's what I use Wikipedia for. I think about things in terms of, um, Narratives and yes. structure, and and for me, the thing that I love is the way that we construct history through mm-hmm. myth, and I really mm. like to um, deconstruct myth um, and get students to think about myths that we create uh, that then creates uh, quote unquote history yeah. as we've come to know it or tell it. Yeah, and the way that I I try and get them to do that is by using um, examples and case studies and lots of primary source documents. Um, and so I, I'm teaching right now about the formation. I'm te- I teach a class on black religion, slavery to the present. And um, I teach you know religion in the Americas generally, all of it since all time which is a fun class.
1: Um, <laughs> I bad.
2: Christianity in American life is another class that I teach. And so with that reading primary sources and getting them to deconstruct how people are talking about things mm-hmm. um, and really asking them like, what is not said here? What is missing? Um, and so for example, like one of my students or, a group of my students is reading Daniel Payne's description of a ring shout. Hmm. Well, Daniel Payne came from the north and he's writing about enslaved people in the south performing a ring shout. He is not impressed with the ring shouting that is happening here. He's very concerned about the worship patterns and so forth. And he's judging this um, as this, you know, um, uh, black religious figure from the north. And uh, and so I asked my students, like, can we access the voices of enslaved people in this document. How do we do that? How do we actually read across this archival document, read across its grain um, against it even, against this colonial perspective um, uh, and, and try and access the people that he's watching? Are we even able to do that? And how do we do that together? Um, so like uh, using examples like that um, to really not tell, traditional great man history which is going to be white and colonialist but instead trying to decolonize this this classroom yeah <laughs> whose architecture is already highly colonized right? yeah yeah Colonial, I should say but um uh, yeah like how how do we do this and I, I do it mainly through the through examples and trying to talk about theory in this way
0: I love it no that's right and I'm and I'm with you I I did I struggled through high school I struggled through um, just all them history and dates, but it, but at the center, I knew there was something that I wanted to connect to, but it really wasn't until I got a really good history teacher that spoke mm-hmm. much more or taught much broadly in those narratives that yeah. I was able to then get the dates and understand the components to that. Um, but yeah, I always if it was just like, oh, what happened in 1712? I'm like, I I don't know who's the, I don't know man, something happened. Something happened, right? But if I look at it in strings oh, well. of narratives and move. Oh, I got that. I got you all day.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That's what I love. I love talking about that kind of stuff.
0: No, that's good. Well, listen, I I mean, this is, I could keep talking to you and I would definitely want to get you back on the show, Um, you know, and I know, you know, you got to go and and whatnot, but in, in time is nigh, but... All that to say, um, I have appreciated just your perspective and the research that you are bringing to this table, which is always amazing to me. That that folks like yourself, or you know, st- still aren't in a tenured position. You uh, know, uh, if that, even if that's what you're you're wanting to do and, and whatnot, I don't even know. But it just, I I'm, I hear this and I'm always. This is. This is part of what I, why I got into the academy, right? This kind of, I know that's mm-hmm. idealism speaking, but I'm like, I love the thought of the mind and having conversations around, right? Especially history yeah. and how those things begin to affect us now. So I'll yeah. just say, I love what you're doing and I appreciate that. And so thank you for taking the time out. Uh, today this
2: has really been a joy. Thank you so much,
0: man. Oh, it's my great. guys, the joy has been definitely all mine because I'm like, wow, this this stuff. I'm gonna have to go back and replay this. Um, but where can folks find you? Where can they bring you out? Maybe somebody's listening right now and saying, shoot, I need to hire Doctor Schwaller. I'm gonna bring them out and 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 get them in this position right now.
2: Um, just at uh, KU um, R Schwaller R S C H W A L L R at ku.edu i don't have a website yet but that's also something i'm hoping to put in the works within the next year or so i got you um but yeah just come to ku the history or the religious studies page because i'm a lecturer in both
1: okay
0: <laughs> all right i will post those in the show notes um and whatnot uh so lastly before we uh, uh wrap up here are you, are you a comic book fan or anything like that mu or dc
2: Oh, uh yeah, so uh Marvel all the way yes. in my <laughs> and I am a huge nerd. Um I love sci-fi, I love uh fantasy, I love speculative fiction. Um yes. yeah, I am a nerd. I'm a board gamer, oh. I'm an RPGer, uh video gamer i do all of it <laughs> i
0: love it so i was gonna ask you about the new uh dr strange and the multiverse and stuff coming out i'm 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 liking some of the previews of that and particularly the conversation that um was it scarlet the witch is having with him about you know who can do what and break the rules and stuff
2: mm-hmm. yeah i'm excited um i am so excited and i, I love the movie franchise so i'm yeah I'm
0: in it. I love it. I love it. I, well, I got a book coming out later this year on on Marvel and religion and everything and co authoring oh, that with uh, Oh, I can't wait. Yes.
2: That's going to be great.
0: Another good friend of mine, Jennifer Baldwin, she's amazing. Met her through AAR as well. And uh, it's an it's an edited nice. volume, but it, nevertheless, it's, it's got some good stuff in it. So I just, I had to ask about the comic books because I'm like, shoot, we got it. This is, yes. Good. Fabulous. Well, thank you again, Doc. Appreciate you. And I'm, like I said, I'm going to hit you up uh, to get you back on the show.
2: I can't wait. Thank you so much.